Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and almost happy birthday to you. And welcome, Rebecca. Hi, Susan. Happy birthday, Justine. Yeah, wow. I saw the first crocus <laughs> blooming in New York City today. Oh, wow. You're back. You're still in the city, or you're back in the city, huh? Back in the city, yep, for the whole month of March. Mm-hmm. And we had to fire the doctor today, which was kind of grim. Mm-hmm. But it needed to be done. Did I talk last week about this book I've been reading, Don't Let Your Doctor Kill You? No, you did not. It's really incredible book written by an MD 
And I truthfully, I think part of it was she just had to write it because she has so many horror stories to recount. But don't think this book is only horror stories. It really gives you really important information about how to help yourself and how to not let your doctor kill you. The subtitle is How to Beat Physician Arrogance, Corporate Greed, and a Broken System by Erica Schwartz, M.D. And um, wow, she is just so clear. The truth is, she says, that doctors have no idea how you feel and will never know how you feel because the doctor does not live inside your body. You do. And this is why we had to fire the doctor. Because um, when we told the doctor what was being experienced, the doctor said, that can't happen. Hmm. The truth is, says Erica Schwartz, that to get the correct health care for you, you have to understand how you feel and express it in everyday language without fear of being judged. And that's exactly what was going on. Every time um, a symptom was brought up and discussed, the doctor said something incredibly dismissive. Even though it was being expressed in clear and everyday language, uh, the judgment was there. So I don't think what she's saying is, uh, don't think you'll be judged. You could very well be judged. Don't be afraid of being judged. The truth is, says Erica Schwartz, you have no real choice but to seek a doctor who listens to you and is going to protect you with sound advice that resonates with you. The doctor must be committed to you and work only for you to truly represent you. The doctor cannot have other masters, not malpractice fears, pressure from drug companies, insurance companies, equipment companies, or any other invisible presence in the examination room. So we have to know how we feel. We have to be able to express in in clear and simple language how we feel. But that doesn't mean the doctor's going to listen. You have to be willing to find a doctor who would listen. And we went in there knowing that the doctor wasn't listening to us. And this was kind of our, you know, one last try. Here's your last chance. The truth is, as Erica Schwartz said, if you don't feel right about a doctor's advice but accept it out of fear, you're risking your life and your health. And it is very scary. It's very scary to stand up and say, this is what I feel. You're not listening to me. Um, We can't do this together. The truth is that not every doctor is right for you, says Erica Schwartz, MD. The doctor-patient relationship isn't different from any other human relationship. It's a good fit. Stay with it. If it's not right and you stay, then you can die. In fact... Well, as we know, Susan Caniel, um, she's a very happy, lovely person, but you cross her, dragon lady is going to come roaring out. And by the time that he had denied um, what he's being told four or five times, I said, you are totally dismissing what is being said to you. At which point, the doctor got up, believe it or not, and said, I don't have to take this. 
and walked out of the room. And as he was walking out of the room, couldn't resist yet another dismissal, turned and over his shoulder said, herbs, acupuncture, yoga, massage, none of that does anything for you. Hmm. Which is, I think, what... I think what was under there all along, I think it wasn't just dismissal. I think that there was a real mismatch here and that this doctor, um, you know, really views us as idiots for engaging in the complementary integrated medical revolution. The truth is, Berger Schwartz, MD, that every word a doctor speaks to you has tremendous impact. In medical school, there's no training in sensitivity or how to speak to a patient. If your doctor is not impeccable with words and care, no matter how adept that doctor is, the deficiency will be devastating to your life and your health. Can I ask why you're seeing a doctor? To assist my friend. To be there with my friend. Oh, you're helping. Oh, okay. I'm here to help take care of somebody who's very important to me. And I'm right oh, okay. there yeah. because um, I don't think anybody should have to deal with this alone. Mm-hmm. It's a good friend. You're a good friend. <laughs> we all need good friends. We need somebody who's going to stand with us and who, if need be, is going to stand up and yell at the doctor. So, um Yeah. <laughs> Quite the day. And the first crocus in Manhattan. How wonderful. Yesterday, um, we went to see an art exhibit at Gracie Mansion called And Still She Persisted. And it was a show of a hundred years of women artists who lived in New York City. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Totally, totally amazing, including the Gorilla Girls and the Gorilla Girls Manifesto, why it's great to be a woman artist. You never have to worry about being too successful. You never have to worry about people paying too much attention to you. Uh, If your husband leaves you for a younger woman, you'll have lots more time for your work. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, those Gorilla Girls, they're bad, they're bad, you know. (laughs) And then... um, (laughs) <laughs> the, the guide didn't show up. It was supposed to be a woman guide. And so instead we got the guide who takes people through the house to tell them about it historically. For those who don't know, Gracie Mansion was the farm of a very wealthy Scotsman named Gracie. And he, of course, lived in the city. And remember that in the early New York City, all the city was below Canal Street. The Dakota all right, made famous by John Lennon, was called the Dakota because it was as far north as North Dakota. It's now what we call Midtown. Gracie Mansion also is the Upper East Side. But it was his farm. It was where he kept his cows and his chickens and all that stuff. And he would come up on weekends to his farm. <laughs> and um, the, the building itself has great historical value. Um, but it's also terrifically interesting because it is the residence of the mayor of New York City. 
and um, you're only allowed in to see the art exhibit on Mondays three times with guys. Um, I was really hoping one of the women um, with stiletto heels would tromp the foot of the man who was the guide when he said, and this is a piece by um, Lee Radisville, also known as Mrs. Jackson Pollock. Hmm. And, um, you know, come on, we all know she's a better artist. She's actually the one who made him famous. And uh, it was really, you know, quite the faux pas. I would have rather heard him say, oh, and her husband was Jackson Pollock. Huh. Of course. Right? Men get all the credit. things like. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> That's why I love okay. our guest tonight, though, is that she really um, exemplifies and, like, brings forward, like, the, the work of the goddess and of women um, in Indeed. a culture male-dominated. Yeah, Sister Dandelion, yes. and she is the co-founder of the Pussy Church of Modern Witchcraft. You better stay Actually, around. tonight we have, it's Sally Kempton. Um, that's oh, really? next week is. Oh, my is, gosh. Um, oh, well, yeah. I said you know who's on tonight. <laughs> because obviously the wrong thing got printed out for me. Sorry. <laughs> Do you, have, you, do you have not only am I five days out of the week, but my car is broken and my computer is broken, so it's just kind of a hi, Susan, to nothing. Mm-hmm. So um, while we're talking, I'll see if I can scan through the emails and tell us more about her. Sally okay, Kempton. let's see. Um, Sally is a widely respected teacher of meditation and spiritual wisdom, and she's um, she's a meditation teacher, and she wrote the book Awakening Shakti, The Transformative Power of the Goddesses of Yoga and Meditation. And um, she, yeah. she's, she's amazing. And I, I read Awakening, or I listened to it on an audio book, actually, and um, – she integrates like sound with it and chanting and with each goddess and, um it's really, really powerful and then i picked up the yoga journal this past week when i was at the library with my kids and there lo and behold she had written a whole um like five page article in there so <laughs> if you if you have the chance All to read it right <laughs> vedanta and you know non duality she and I will talk a little, little over her use of feminine rather than female. Yes. Yeah, that As seems to be know. a common theme. Everywhere I look right now, everybody is using the word feminine. And so, Which, um, which is really yeah, meaningless. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, really... It's just so. a cultural concept, whereas female is an actual thing. Mm-hmm. So, Good awareness. Hooray. And y'all have to wait till next week for Sister Dandelion. <laughs> but we'll get to her. But tonight is All right. All right. Yay. And I do want to just mention that um, I put up some new stuff in my Etsy shop. If people are interested to go there, it's at etsy.com backslash shop backslash nourish wholeness. And they can see some of uh like the poplar, the balm of Gilead there, and some new tinctures, and so oh, anybody balm is. Oh, Gilead! Yay! 
Yeah, I'm going to mail oh. you some too. So keep a oh, it is one of keep a lookout when you get home. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> we have a lot of people with questions. About uh, five people so far with their hands raised. If you have a question for Susan, make sure to press one to ask so your let's question, go ahead and, and we'll go. All right, and the first caller is coming from the 410 area code. Hello? Hello? Hello. Hi, uh, thank you so much for taking my call. I'm so excited. I started listening to your radio show last summer, and I started drinking nourishing herbal infusions every day, and uh, so that's been amazing. Um Thank you, Rebecca, for the, some tinctures I just got in the mail from your Etsy shop. Uh, they're awesome. And it's an interesting synchronicity that the guest is Sally Kempton because I just started reading her book last night, so that's cool. Um, but I am calling because I've had an irregular menstrual cycle. Um, uh, it's, been, it's been irregular uh, comparatively uh, for most of my life, but it had gotten on track until um, a little over a year ago. I um, was severely beaten by my now ex-fiance. And so ever since then, it's been three months, four months, five months between my cycle. And um, I've gone to Eastern medicine practitioners and received acupuncture and I have taken some um, Chinese herbs and I just found them really stimulating so uh, I you know haven't continued that um, uh, I feel like the herbal infusions have helped but I'm I'm wondering what what else I could possibly do to support can you, can you my share with cycle. Me how, can you share with me how old you are? Oh, I'm, I just turned 33 in February. Okay. And I take it you don't have any children? No children. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. Yes, and, correct. And um, is your father bald? My father is not bald. Okay. That sounds like a funny question, doesn't it? Well, it's interesting. <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> there, there, there is a condition that is called polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS. It doesn't actually have anything to do with cysts on the ovary. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's a hormonal condition, and it is often um, genetically linked to hormonal disruptions which can make men bald early. That's interesting. So that's why I ask you that what? I yep. left question <laughs> there. Um, <laughs> he's not he's not bald. You know, maybe like a some receding hairline, but not not really not really. Um, no, no, it, it, in this hormonal, you know, condition, men do really, you know, they don't go totally bald, but they start losing their hair in their 30s. So mm-hmm, by, the time he, mm-hmm. by the time he would be old enough to be your dad now, he could be very close to bald. Um, okay. So it's, un, okay. so it's unlikely to be that. You know, mammals mm. are incredibly 
reproductively sensitive to emotion. Mm-hmm. And that is the whole way through from our willingness to ovulate to our willingness to give birth. I always loved the story my sister, the midwife, told about this. Um, I think it was a chiropractor um, who she was midwifing and gosh, the labor just stalled out and they just didn't, you know, between the two of them, they could not get the labor going. And so finally my sister said, we're going we're gonna to have to take you to the hospital. This, you know, this woman is like kicking and screaming and saying, no, 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 no. Well, what else can we do, you know? And so they did. They took mm-hmm. to the hospital. And so she's in the hospital in a corridor laying on a gurney, got to be uncomfortable, awkward, lonely. And this older, white-haired, male physician comes walking down the hallway, stops, looks in her eyes, puts his hand on her forehead and says, everything's going to be fine. Wham! Her labor started and she gave birth within half an hour. Oh, wow. A rabbit can reabsorb its fetuses up to about an hour before it gives birth. (laughs) Just, wow, (laughs) stuck it all back in. Like, oh, no, I'm sorry, this is not a safe space. So I think that... That your story is, you know, very, very clear. Um, you're in a situation that was unsafe. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. you you had, like us firing the doctor today, you had to fire your fiancé. And it's <laughs> a lot harder to do than it is to talk about. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Just so much harder to do. It's almost, if nobody has been in that place, it's very hard to describe. The inner war. I'm a nice girl. I don't do this. Yes, you do because you're saving your life. Hi, right? Nice girls mm-hmm. don't get beaten up, but mm-hmm. our bodies do not necessarily partake of the chatter in our heads. Mm-hmm. So your body was threatened, mm-hmm. and your your body is now saying, "Okay, that's it." That's it. I've been threatened. I, I, we're just not going to do this. Mm-hmm. So I think part of what we might envision is perhaps something as direct as um, you take a boxing class. Oh, I like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So your body says, I can hit back. Like I said yeah. at the beginning of, of the show, I am really Mrs. Nice Girl, but if you put me in a corner, Dragon Lady is going to come out and squirt your eyebrows off. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. all need, yeah, we all need that Dragon Lady inside. I mean, if we're not assured yeah. of her, our Tai Chi teacher calls it, you know, after the old ad, a tiger in your tank. Do you have a tiger in your tank? If you don't have a tiger in your tank, it'll run and run empty. Uh. <laughs> Uh, yes. right? so, so I envision for you that you take some active step to say nobody's going to catch me unaware anymore Hmm. I like this I, I've been practicing a lot of yoga and it's really helped emotionally um, my, my younger sister had passed away shortly before I broke up with my fiance so I was already 
in this heart healing practice. And so then I continued that, you know, really uh, devotional, like every day. And then I saw a friend of mine who's a body worker after, you know, I hadn't visited him in a few years. And he's like, you know, you used to have a lot more muscle tone. And I think if you started building that strength back up, you know, you've been really diving deep inward, but now you're like ready to pop on the outside to, and that'll build your, your inner strength and resolve. So it's, I just heard that last week. And so that is lining up with what you're saying. (laughs) Pretty cool. Wow. It certainly is. How wonderful. The other dietary thing that I find can be very helpful is animal fat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And getting some animal fat into every meal, whether it's, you know, direct, um, animal mm-hmm. stuff, or whether it's butter, eggs, cheese, full fat, yogurt, all that counts. Yeah. You know, you, you'll probably appreciate this. I'm in an apprenticeship with one of your past apprentices, and she's converted me out of being a vegan, and our assignments have been to drink nourishing herbal inf- infusions every day, and bone broth has been... Uh, implemented now and she's convinced me how the goddess is in everything and to be vegan is to deny that we're part of the cycles of life and death so now I'm just like taking lard and like plopping it into everything but that's only been for the last good good organic bacon fat Ooh, it doesn't get any better than that yeah and I'm like oh it's so good it's amazing and, you know, there is that little part of me that's like, oh, the vegan, the part of me that's like, oh, the poor animals. But, you know, it's just a judgment. Oh, but you wait, know, a second, a bro- wait a second. Bro- wait a second. Bro- wait a second, bro- wait a second bro- here. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Suppose mm-hmm. I told you that I loved you and yeah. that I loved you so much that you couldn't come in my home and I wanted nothing to do with you. Right. Yeah. That doesn't sound like love. Yeah. So that's what a vac- that's what a vacan is saying. It's not a poor animal. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. everything feels best when it is functional mm-hmm. and can give to others. Do you feel best when you're functional and can give to others? Yes. Mm-hmm. You but you're gonna deny animal set, right? Right. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No, they're not you know, they're not centerfold, you know, mm-hmm. you know they're, they're functional and they mm-hmm. give. And so far as I can tell, opting out has never changed anything. When we opt in, right, then we can say, hey, if I'm going to eat meat, I want it to be lovingly raised. I want it to be organically raised. Now you have an absolute knowledge that you will change an animal's life. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. will make sure that an animal is raised in a loving, organic, antibiotic-free way because you are paying for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, wow. Right way of looking at Yeah, and that, yeah. I, think, I think that between, you know, getting some tiger in your tank and mm-hmm. and some real tiger in your belly too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just talking about this metaphorically, right? Um, yes, not not the actual yeah. tiger. 
animals that right. aren't almost extinct. Okay. Exactly. No, we're not going to actually eat that, no, but, but kind of metaphorically, <laughs> right? And um, I also get, and I could be wrong about this, that there's some real hesitancy about whether or not you would ever view yourself as a mother. Yes, yeah, exactly. And just afraid of the condition of the world and the environment and, uh, yeah. Well, and if, feel, you, if you're never going to be a mother, why menstruate? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to be so interested in finding the love of my life and having this partnership and then ever since this happened, I'm just like, I just don't feel that at all anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, Like the, like the gorilla girls. Hey, if your husband leaves you for something younger, you have lots more time for your art. Right, <laughs> yes. I'm like, this is great. But, but that was 50 years ago. Now we skip the first part. We don't even have to wait for them to leave. Fine, I'm just going to focus on what I want to do. And you know, when you're focusing on what you want to do, the partner that that can be with you, um, no matter what form they're taking, is going to be more attracted to you. Mm. Yeah. I think about, you know, a gazillion years ago when I was in college, and what we were taught, it sounds so silly now, but oh gosh, we just really took it to heart, was that you were to go to bed with your makeup on, and once your husband was asleep, you got up, washed your face and then you got up half an hour before he woke up so that you could put your makeup on, fix your hair, and get back in bed with him. <laughs> and on, you know, on one level, oh, how sweet and kind. But on another level, oh, how frightening. You're not loved for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why do we feel <sighs> so loved by our family, even if we hate our family? Because our family has seen us, you know, in really ugly places. Mhm. Yeah. And and we really trust that if somebody's seen us in an ugly place and loves us, that they really love us. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So mm-hmm. I think I think you've got a great plan of action here. I think you're doing really, really fabulous. And go for it. Mm, thank you. I yeah. I think the. Boxing classes sounds perfect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is great. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Thank you for supporting me, too. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so wonderful. Thank you so much. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 608 area code. Hello, Susan. Hi. Okay. Hi. Hi. Yeah, um, I have a couple of subjects I wanted to cover if there's time. Uh, the one involves, uh, first of all, involves uh, my own health. Okay. And uh, for the past couple of years, um, especially right after the fire seasons here in California, um, I've ended up with these F- upper respiratory problems that have caused like nosebleeds and you know, eventually, you know, the skin would be so thin in my my nasal cavity that I'd, I'd start to get infections. Um, 
and I, I started this year. I uh, just recently stopped taking echinacea. I was doing a lot of echinacea, and there was just something telling me, okay, I took you this far. It's time for me to drop you off. Um, and I heard myself in a conversation at dinner with a friend. You know, I heard that horseradish is good for, you know, uh-huh. uh, and I went, what, why, why haven't I been taking horseradish? Why haven't I been eating that? <laughs> and like within about two hours of taking, eating horseradish, uh, I started, my, my nasal passages started to run clear, you know? Um, and, uh, so here, here's what's going on. Um, I make my own horseradish, but it tastes terrible. <laughs> I prepared make, horseradish. You can, horse, you can make horseradish tincture. Yeah, I've tried that, and it, it, it's never strong enough, at least not for me. Um, from, fresh horse, from your fresh horseradish. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's not horseradish I grow. It's like roots I buy from the store, and then I, I oh, run okay. it through so a food process. No, it, it has to be, like, tinctured within, like, minutes of being harvested oh okay yeah well I, I'm not I in a do. position right now where I can do that but I you know I, I'll do that I'm going to be moving to a place where I can grow things and I'll All right. I'll, I'll definitely Yay. do that yeah yeah <laughs> so when you make so your own horseradish you like put it in a food processor and grind it down with some vinegar and salt that's right and I just, and, you know, when I eat prepared horseradish, it tastes uh-huh. good. But when I make my own, it just tastes horrible. I mean, it, it does the job, but well, I can't stand it. Is it bitter? Um, yeah, yeah, kind of bitter. Just, you know, it kind of makes my stomach a little bit queasy. But, you know, like gotcha. I said, when I buy the prepared prepared stuff it, it it tastes fine it's just it's just the way i make it it's yeah oh well you know <laughs> i am a very strong believer in no pleasure no treasure yeah if your body yeah, is saying, I, i've heard you say your body is saying yuck then i go with that if your body's saying yeah. i want that prepared stuff then you go with that yeah what about powdered horse i'm told yeah by those uh-huh. who know that there is no uh-huh. real wasabi in North America. Okay. That what is okay. sold as wasabi here is horseradish powder with a little green dye in it. Okay. Yeah. Which is yeah, I thought horseradish and wasabi were interchangeable, but I, I guess I'm, I'm well, wrong. Wasabi is a kind of horseradish, but it's, you know, kind of like uh, as those... Uh, Super hot peppers are to a sweet pepper. Oh, okay, okay, got it. Okay, which so anyway, which is apparently why it's not here because they don't think anybody here could tolerate it. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) I was reading a pretty funny article about this place down south who sells this hot chicken, super hot, and it Mm -hmm. it comes in um, hot, super hot. Spectacularly hot, and unless you've eaten here before, we can't serve it to you so hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found online there's something called atomic horseradish that's only sold to restaurants and, and hotels. So I'm thinking about ordering some of that because uh, I, I need it strong. Okay, well, let us know if that 
sets off the bomb you want. Uh, I will, but but all right. Is there, now, the, is there medicinal? The other, thing, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, does allying with mullen offer any help to you? I gee, I have not thought of that. I certainly have mullen, and I normally think of that as a lung conditioner, but I it never occurred to me to. I think I should try that. It's a very good question. I'll look into that. Thank you. Especially because you linked it to the fire season and smoke and particulate particulate matter that you're probably inhaling. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Susan. I'm definitely going to check that out. I've got a, you know, I've got a whole, you know, half gallon of, uh, Half and half uh, from Costco that I just bought yesterday. I could make some rolling milk of that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you uh, must have already known what you needed. <laughs> I must have. I must have. I love have. the little synchronicities of our lives. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, boy. I get tons of them when I listen to your show, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and then, of course, I? Another, another lung herb that I'm very partial to. Is elecampane. Elecampane. I have that growing in the place where I'm moving to. Um, it's growing in the front yard of the place I'm moving. Helen <laughs> of the fields, right? The root uh-huh. kind of the root kind of tastes like mothballs. I mean, it's really not the most attractive smell or taste in the world. But once you get a little of that in you, if your body responds to it, it's one of those kind of weird flavors that you start to crave. Okay. Interesting. Well, that's not the first time that's happened to me. So, yeah. Good. I th- Thank I th- you. Yeah, you're right. I think of the mullen as like the conditioner, the thing that re- restores the lungs and helps mm-hmm. them to clear out any particulate matter from any kind of fire, from smoking, from anything mm-hmm. like that. And that elecampane okay. is like the... The pinch hitter, right, the one that we keep in reserve for like, uh uh-oh, this is, Mm -hmm. you know, this is getting really scary. We've got to have something strong come in, and that's, all right, get out the yellow campaign. So the mullen can be an infusion. It can be taken, you know, anywhere from half a cup to several cups a day if you feel like that, in addition to your nourishing herbal Mm -hmm. infusions. But the yellow campaign, obviously, we're not making an infusion of it. Who could drink an infusion of mothballs? (laughs) Little bits of it, right? And um, so that's, you know, that's at that point where you say, oh, you know, it's like the fire season ends, and then this happens, and then that happens, and then, wow, it's bad. So before the wow, it's bad comes the other campaign. Okay, so it it helps to kind of uh, uh, fortify you in a way? Or strengthen you? I think of it as a respiratory anti-infective. Ah, anti-infective. Thank you. Okay. It's far, far more than that, but, you know, it's easiest, Uh especially at first, to just have one little mm, hook that we can put in. And then as Uh you get to know the Ella campaign, uh, you will discover Uh more of her treasures uh, in the respiratory system. Well, perhaps I should get some before I, I have a chance to tincture my own. Maybe I should purchase a bottle. So that's great. Um, do you mind if I switch topics now to my dog? Let's go. Okay, thank you. Um, 
My dog has uh, what appears to be pressure sores on his elbows. He's a really giant dog. I've, I've called you before about him. He's just a big, sweet, giant creature. And, uh, you know, his, his breed is, is uh, prone to pressure sores on their elbows. And, uh, you know, so I, I'm just uh, calling to find out if uh, you have any suggestions. I've, I've tried uh, echinacea. But he, he absolutely hates it. He won't, oh, yeah. he won't touch his food if he smells it. Um, right. I, I'm now trying um, calendula tincture, and he's okay with it. He's fine with it. Um, and you uh, I just put it in a little yogurt and put it in his food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Usually, and, for pressure, uh, usually for a pressure sore, we want it treat directly, not indirectly. And yeah, and I I've tried that too. And at first, I was making the mistake of uh, using an ointment that was kind of sticky and waxy. And then I heard one of your programs where you say, "Oh, don't put anything waxy on a sore like that because it'll." close the sore up and it won't have a chance to, um, mm-hmm, to uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, ooze out. Um, what so is, that's what exactly used, what happens. What is used in human situations where a pressure sore is called, <coughs> excuse me, it's called a bed sore, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then what we now use for humans, and I've been in nursing homes and many nursing homes are using honey bandages. Yeah, um, I, I think since it's on his elbows, I wouldn't be able to use a bandage. But I have been applying some honey, and it seems to help a little bit. But how frequently? Maybe I, I need to be more frequent with the application. Does your dog ever sleep? He sleeps a lot. <laughs> he's, well, he's, you know, when you when you're when you're a giant breed, uh, you spend a lot of your life sleeping. Yeah. When your dog sleeps, could you put honey on the pressure source? He's fine with me anytime, anytime at all. Yeah, he likes to lick I'm, my hands. I'm not afterwards. talking about trying to sneak around putting it on. I'm talking about when he's asleep, he's not going to lick it off or knock it off or. Oh, yeah. This he, was, he, uh, an, this was he, an he can't to your reach question. it. He can't reach it. So well, this uh, was, yeah. Answer your question: How often? Yes. And I just keep honey around where the dog sleeps. Whenever I see the dog sleeping, I put a little honey on. Oh, okay. Okay, I got it. It would help me to remember to do it. It would be fairly frequent because I did figure that your dog slept a lot. Yes. All right. Yeah. And um, go ahead. Okay, so um, so that's good. I could do that. Now, the other question is, should I make sure that my – I've been – like cleaning my hands before I put my fingers in the honey. Um, is that appropriate or is it necessary? I mean, obviously his elbows don't stay clean because they're going to be on the floor. Calls appropriate? Honey, it's, honey itself is considered sterile. Okay. So I certainly wouldn't come from like mucking out the barn and stick my finger in the honey jar. Yeah. yeah. But if we're talking a reasonable state of your hands, that you would be willing to pick up some food, eat it, and lick your fingers, that's good enough. Okay. Okay, good, because that, that means I don't have to wash my hands every single time I put the honey exactly. on. Exactly. You can also get or put honey in one of those squeeze bottles, right? 
Oh, of course. Yeah. And then you squeeze yeah, them along. That's, that's a great idea. Oh, so obvious. I, so you've got so many great practical uh, solutions. That's great. Um, yeah, because what I, you know, I got the buckwheat honey. It comes in a glass jar. But what I could do is just transfer some of it to a squeeze bottle. It makes so much sense. Yeah. The, the other thing, whenever there's disruption to the skin, I always think about comfrey leaf. Comfrey leaf. Because comfrey is what makes things strong and flexible. Mm-hmm. And that's now, really I did give some. Yeah, go ahead. I'm, I said I, I have been, you know, from time to time giving him comfrey leaf infusion in his food and I mean, he tolerates it okay, but I wasn't entirely sure if it was really doing any good. Um, it's you very, think a, it's a com- very difficult. With, remember when you were so upset about your elbows, and you were crying because your elbows were so rough, and I told you to use shea butter? Shea butter? Which I use to this day on both my elbows and my knees. Uh-huh. And it Is it okay to do it on broken skin? Yeah. Okay, fabulous. I'm going to pick some up. And when I'm doing external applications, you know, I like to have a few things that I can, like, sort through, right, so that I don't have to do the same thing all the time because life is not the same thing all the time, and I think that we heal better if we have some options. That's true. Good. Oh, Susan, I feel so much better. <laughs> What's your dog's it's, name? It's been, his name's Jojo. Jojo, we are all envisioning you with happy, healthy elbows. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome. Green blessings. Green blessings. Ah. Good night. Our next caller is coming from the 541 area code. Hi, Susan. Ah! <laughs> uh, today I'm calling because I have some digestive issues. I tend toward getting bloated and gassy at night, sometimes with intense urges to keep snacking. And my bowels are irregular. My biggest complaint is that when I have a bowel movement, it is somewhat loose and unformed. Often I feel as though not all my stool has been expelled. I eat a broad diet, including meat, dairy, yogurt, and cooked greens and sauerkraut. And I've been drinking uh, nourishing herbal infusions for about two years. Uh, I've worked with Slippery Elm, uh, and I usually have Slippery Elm balls on hand. And I've worked with uh, aromatic seeds and dandelion uh, oh, yeah, on and off. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> my best friend. <laughs> yeah, what do you see happening with the um, the slippery elms? I find it incredibly soothing and comforting. Anytime I just feel any kind of, uh, you know, discomfort um, in my digestive tract, 
you know, I have had, like, maybe some bouts of, like, diarrhea, um, and it's always been very helpful to just kind of stop that and start moving in the other direction. Shall we just Yes, both slippery elm and applesauce are renowned uh-huh. for normalizing bowel function. In other words, they, they counter diarrhea and they counter constipation. Okay. So either one or both can be used at any time if you respond well to them. Okay. I'm sure you've heard, make our own applesauce, and we just quarter the apples, cook them down, and then we run them through a mill. So we don't have to sweeten our apples, and our applesauce has this beautiful color because the peels took with it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And nice. the, the peel, of course, has the most pectin, and it's the pectin that's really providing that gut health. One of the things okay. that the slippery elm can do is it can help restore and protect the lining of the gut. And it's seeming to me like there's something in your environment, the lining of your gut, that you seem to get into a good place. Yeah. And then, and then you encounter this, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that sense too, because I've been reading about, like, the villi in your small intestine, and that keeps coming into my mind. Yes. It's a place where it's really easy to do improvement or disprovement really fast because the lining okay. of the gut is replaced every 24 hours. Yeah, that's right. So if, right, so if there's a disruption, you can see it within 48 hours. Uh-huh. It's not like okay. you have to, like, wait for months to say, oh, what's disturbing me? So it might be within reason for you to kind of keep a log. Yeah. And make it broad. Don't, you know, just focus on, oh, I ate carrots or whatever that is. What was going on? You know, what was the Mm -hmm. weather? How were you feeling? And and many different things, as you can can remember – yeah. Um, not with the goal of eliminating anything or changing anything, but with the goal of understanding what it is that's causing your body to go into fear. Yeah. Because that's what this yeah, is, well, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a, like, it's a fear reaction. I'm very well known you know, that in the military that under fire... <clears throat> Uh You lose it Because when we are in extreme fear Our sphincters open And we just avoid and eliminate everything And I think it's the body's way of saying Well, excuse me It's pointless to digest right now We're just going to focus on staying alive Yeah Yeah, and I know that's associated with like high cortisol so um, what is it? What is it in your yeah. environment that is causing your body to react uh-huh. in that way? It could be well below your level of consciousness. I'm not saying that it's some direct thing. It might yeah. be, 
but it could also be a really subtle thing mm-hmm. that's going on. And again, if you identify it, if it becomes visible to you, it's no, it's not required that you change. Uh-huh. It doesn't sound to me like what's going on is a serious impairment of your health. Am I wrong? Uh, no, it's not. And it's actually improved a lot. Um, so that's what I mean. Yeah. You know, if you find out what's yeah. going on, you say, okay, here we go again. You, you don't have to like, <laughs> yeah. you're everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree. Yeah. And sometimes sometimes it does happen that we go, oh, gosh, I can't believe I'm doing that. And poof, you just really easily change. And sometimes it's like, oh, I'm doing that, and that's me, and I'm going to do it all my life. Mm-hmm. And then we build compassion by being compassionate with our own picadillos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Dan, I think of dandelion and burdock and yellow dock as all being very gut active. Okay. Anytime I'm in a situation where I'm feeling like things are moving through my body too fast, I avoid those gut active roots. Right. Now, I certainly am not in any way trying to take dandelion away from you. We all love dandelion. But I'm saying, if you're in that situation where you're feeling like it's just moving too fast, just pull back on those roots for a while. Mm-hmm. And see if that gives you some help. Yeah. You're pretty perceptive. You'll be able to, you know, shift a few things, look at a few things, and get some good feedback. Okay. Sounds good. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 971 area code. Hi, Miss Susan. Hi. Hi. We spoke months ago, and I need your advice. I'm in a little spot when it comes to my digestion as well. Um, I have, I've been using, first off, the nettle infusion. It has seriously turned my health around. I love it. I went one day without it and I was so dehydrated. I was like craving it, but I had forgot to make it. So thank you for that advice. You're welcome. Okay. So where I'm at is I have um, a couple years of really, really tricky digestion after taking antibiotics. And I'm at a place where I have a hernia and a really weak uh, valve that isn't closing, and I cannot get rid of this acid reflux. I have tried everything. Um, I got diagnosed with two ulcers in my throat and H. pylori in my stomach. This, uh, this, last this is what the proton pump inhibitors were created for. Exactly this. And I took it. And I was on it what? for four months, and I did an herbal protocol for H. pylori, got mm-hmm. rid of it, it took about a year. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I had these ulcers in my throat for a year, so I know there's some, you know, residual inflammation or damage. And it's been gone since December, the bug. I confirmed by biopsy. And um, I've been 
I was on the PPI for four months. I came off cold turkey and I almost died. I was throwing up. It was nasty. So I went back on. My naturopathic worked with me. Every two weeks, we weaned off by 10 milligrams. And I got off successfully, but now the, the acid is just every time, no matter what I eat, I get a sour taste. And the worst is at night, um, I'm always waking up with a sore throat. And I've been doing a lot of slippery elm. I make the oats you recommended with slippery elm and um, seaweed. So and that's let, me go, let me go back. This is what yeah, yeah. Yeah. inhibitors were made for. Why are you off it? I got scared from all the negative, like, oh, you're going to be deficient in this and that. For, and I don't want to be on a drug long term if I don't have to. You have to. But you, you so? have to. It is absolutely true that these drugs are way too available, wildly overprescribed, but there are specific conditions which they were created for. A hiatal hernia is a tricky hernia operation. Yeah. Very tricky. And so, you know, with the introduction of proton pump inhibitors, there was a great cheer that went up that we did not have to do this tricky, dangerous surgery on people. Yes, there are problems with taking any drug long-term, but there are even greater problems with dealing with your hiatal hernia without it. Yeah, any pressure. I mean, if I eat a big meal, it's back up. If I lean over, and I'm a yoga instructor, so it's really had, really been a bummer because I have to, you know, fast in the morning in order to do my practice. Anything like that is just like it goes right back up, and I can't lay down or what even sit. What do you mean up. in the morning? It sounds like you're breaking one of Susan's three yoga rules. Well, I drink my water in my nettle infusion, you and do I do not. Like honey. You do not do yoga in the morning ever. You do not do yoga I every day, ever, and you do not do yoga at any temperature warmer than room temperature. Those are Susan's three yoga rules. You don't do it in the morning? My, I would Absolutely be never. <laughs> I have, you know, I've been doing yoga since I was 18. In 55 years, I have seen a lot of people come and go, and the ones who go are the ones who get up and do it in the morning because your body's not ready and you're going to injure yourself. You're going to tear something, you're going to ruin some joint, and you'll never be able to do yoga again. Yeah. I don't do any – it's not intense yoga. It's just to – for me, it's more of a lubrication, get my limbs moving, and then my mind. I do a long meditation. Because it's a lot better for moving lymphatic than yoga. Bikram, I don't like heat. I hate heat. You don't like chikung? What was that? You don't like chikung? Oh, I, I, I thought you said Bikram. Chikung. <laughs> <gasps> hot yoga. No. no. Not hot yoga. No, That's one of my rules, right? So chikung yeah. is perfect for that lubrication of the joints and waking up and being in your body. That's an excellent morning practice. Right. And meditation, got nothing against that. I was talking to somebody the other day, and she said, oh, well, what I do is a form of meditation. I said, you know, when I was trying to, like, look for studies to validate the effects of meditation, 
problem was that everybody calls everything meditation. Yoga is meditation, right? Running mm-hmm. is meditation. And so you can't, like, really talk about meditation when it covers such a vast thing. So what I'd rather hear you say is not that you get up and do yoga, but that you get up and meditate. Yeah, that's basically my practice. Right, because then you're really conveying something. And, again, um, my sense of it is, it's certainly not a rule, but my sense of it is um, very few people get the best benefit from a meditative practice when it's done in the morning. Mhm. I should, I do. You should be, you should I, be waking up person. in a meditative state. You should be waking up like, wow, everything is like even and cool and groovy. Because if we only meditate when nothing is happening, well, it's like the person who achieved enlightenment, and then somebody came and said, "Oh, I hear you've achieved enlightenment," and and the person opened their eyes and said, "Yeah, well, I was enlightened until you showed up." Yeah, I get it. I get right. it. Yeah. We, we, we need to do our meditation practice in the midst of life. Oh, I agree. I agree. I agree. I have to pause many times during the day. I get it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so I'm not you saying are, you're doing anything wrong. I think you're doing great. Okay. But what I am saying is you have a medical condition which can mm-hmm. be dealt with in two ways. A very risky, very tricky surgery or being on a proton pump inhibitor at the lowest dose that's effective for you for the rest of your life. Mm. I'm kind now, of becoming, H. pylori. H. pylori is possibly one of the most important bacteria in the digestive tract and it should never be gotten rid of. In fact, one of the real problems with proton pump inhibitors is they tend to get rid of H. pylori. And that causes Mm. huge problems. Yeah, my intuition now, or obviously my experience, is I think it was a little bit protective because of this acid reflex. Because it didn't solve any of my problems. Um, Yeah, H. pylori is exactly, it's protective. It helps our bodies. That doesn't mean that it can't, you know, run amok and cause problems. It can. But yeah. one thing I will tell you that has turned my turned it all around, which you'll love, is raw goat milk kefir has changed my digestion. That is was a big part of the protocol of, of getting the the numbers down, but like my digestion's normal besides the damn acid reflex. And that is just taking over my mind and my life right now. So I'm, yeah, I was just hoping that there was a natural cure, but I'm getting stuck. I'm trying everything from licorice, um, slippery elm, manuka honey. I've tried aloe. It's like everything. somebody with a broken leg who's saying to me, isn't there some way besides setting it? Yeah. I was I'm sorry, you have an actual, right, you have an actual physical thing that is causing, as you very clearly explained to us, you to always have a sour taste, and even if you can't feel it, to erode and ulcerate the lower part of the esophagus 
giving rise to esophageal cancer. Yeah. And dealing with esophageal cancer is a lot nastier than taking a proton pump inhibitor every day. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Do you think that I'm not, you'll break you know, I'm not a food big blue for drugs, but this is the, you're the you're the one we made these drugs for. Yeah. So that you and don't I'm die of cancer and you don't have to have this risky surgery. And yes, I agree with you. You know, get yourself to the lowest effective dose. But there will be an effective dose for you. You shouldn't be waking up with a sour taste. You shouldn't be having the acid reflux. Uh, uh, lately, uh, just a sore throat every morning, and it scares the crap out of me right now. Um, do you? My last question. I mean, do you think a PPI is better than Zantac, or do you have any idea? What does Zantac do? It's kind of the same, lowering the stomach acid, but in a histamine H2 blocker. I haven't really tried them. Now, the only thing, it didn't take away all my symptoms. I still would get this crazy reaction um, to certain foods after foods would be a prickle in my skin. It was almost like an irritation. So it never took it fully away, but I didn't get the acid. Mm-hmm. So, and that was before I was doing Slippery Elm. Slippery Elm really soothes. It's really been a big thing for my tummy. Um, but sometimes it actually creates a little more heartburn, and I can't figure out why. It's almost like, I don't know. Same with DGL. Those two will cause a little bit more heartburn. PGL? You know uh, licorice where they take it into a powder, oh, the DGL? Oh, okay. It, it yeah. coats the, t- the throat after meals. This, but both of them sometimes... This is because... The heartburn you are experiencing is not just heartburn. It's not just acid in your stomach. There is a hernia there. Mm. And that hernia, like the broken leg, is physically interfering with your stomach's ability to function with acid the way it needs to in the same way that a broken leg is going to mess up your walking if it doesn't get set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wish and that I was a good enough witch that I could wave a magic wand and your hiatal hernia would go away, but I haven't I gotten to that too. level of ability. <laughs> I know. Have you ever heard of neurotherapy where they put procaine in there? And what does that do? Well, my naturopathic is a big fan of where she puts procaine in your acupuncture meridian point to regenerate the nerves and re-stimulate it to kind of tighten up that junction. She wants me to try it. but You have a so. broken leg. I know. But it comes and goes. That's the thing. It's not always there. I know. It, you don't, it doesn't always hurt, but it's a broken leg still. I know. This is oh. all gook. I know. I just, I was hoping there's, I've been just searching for that one final piece. You know, she's got a gold mine in you. Yeah. New yeah. car, swimming pool, grandkids in college, whatever she wants, you'll, you'll support it. Mm-hmm. 
I was hoping you were but, like, just linden flower or something that would be like, take the inflammation away. You have you a think... hiatal hernia. Yeah. And that was from straining too much. That's when I was constipated. And it's a tear in your intestinal wall. Mm-hmm. And it's right up by where your stomach is. Mm-hmm. And so part of your stomach actually extrudes through that opening in the intestinal wall and doesn't function right. Yeah, and then the valve doesn't fully close, and it's just a vicious cycle. Exactly. You've already found out that smaller, more frequent meals are better. Mm -hmm. You've already told me, oh, if I eat too much much at once. It's right there. And it might... might also find postural changes can help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. One thing, when I went, you're going to hate this, but I got fed up of food, and I was like, it's causing me pain. I didn't know what was going on. So I went on fruit and raw food. I know you hate that. But ironically, when I eat fruit, I don't I don't hate it. I, wait, wait, wait. Please, please don't put words in my oh, mouth. Oh, raw food is. I wouldn't say hate. I don't hate anybody. I'm sorry. Please don't put words in my mouth. Sorry. Not hate, but not a fan of. Not hate. Please, please do not make me a hater because I'm not. Right? Okay. As as a matter of fact, if you want to eat raw food, you get the Darwin Award, which means you die before you get to reproduce. (sighs) Yeah. I pretty much was uh, skin and bones. There's no way I could reproduce on just eating fruit and raw. That's for sure. Yeah. But I didn't have acid reflux, which is kind of ironic. Because you weren't getting any nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. Lost, yeah. It's like the man who used used to come out to my goat farm. And asked if he could get some milk, and we wanted to know why. And he said, well, I'm a breatharian. And he said, what? He says, well, you know, we should be able to live on air. We shouldn't have to eat anything at all. And the man would breathe for two hours for breakfast and breathe for two hours for lunch and then breathe for three hours for dinner. And I wondered if he was breathing in between. (laughs) The only food he took in was goat's milk. And he said that he produced each day as a bowel movement a round white pearl. Hmm. And of course, behind his back, we called him Goat's Breath. How'd he do? Was he healthy? Absolutely not. Are you kidding? Well, ironically, that was one thing when I got fed up. Someone told me, go on a raw goat milk fast, it will cure you. So I'm glad you told me. It's probably not my answer for my solution. <laughs> When a raw goat's milk fast cure a broken leg? I don't know. A miracle. No. No. You Mm -hmm. have to remember you have a broken leg. Okay. Well, thank you you for that. You have a broken leg. You have a structural break in your integrity. Mm -hmm. It's It's not going away on its own. Nothing will make it go away on its own. You can have surgery, which is risky and tricky, or you can take a drug. Those are really your only two options. (sighs) Yeah. 
If you decide you do want to have surgery, Shouldice Clinic in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, does only hernia repair. What's it called? Shouldice, like like a shoulder with dice on it. Shouldice, S-H-O-U-L-D-I-C-E. Okay. Yeah, I'm not ready to go that route yet, but thank you. Mhm. Mhm. Well, thank you for yeah. your insights, and and I love my nettle. I cannot live without my nettle. At least. Yay! That nettle. We all love her. <laughs> we do. Green blessing. Good night. Okay. Bye. Oh, thank yeah. you so much. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Hey, Rebecca. How many people do we have to talk to in our last fifteen minutes here? We have three people with their hands raised. Okay. Let's see if we can do it. All right, the next caller is coming from the 205 area code. Hello? Hi. Hey, Susan. Um, So I have some questions about um, the frequency of tinctures. My mom has um, glioblastoma, and I'm giving her, um, or I bought for her, four mushroom tinctures to take in conjunction with the treatment that she's getting from the doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess my question is how often can she take them um, throughout the day because of her, you know, extreme circumstance? I would assume that she would be able to take them or should take them a little bit more than once or twice a day, but I just didn't know how much was So when you say you got four mushroom tinctures, do you mean that those are four different mushrooms Mm -hmm. and each one of the tinctures has a group of mushrooms in it? There are four different mushrooms from Host Defense. They are, um, let's see, uh, Meitake, Rishi, um, Agaricon. Blase, mural, and then turkey And are they in powder form or tincture form? They're in tincture form. All right. What I like of their products is the um, mixture of the mushrooms that they have. Okay. So is that the um, – at home I have mm – In this circumstance, this is where – we have to put the simples aside. With herbs, I really prefer to er- work with one herb at a time. Mm-hmm. But with the mushrooms, the mushrooms have a tremendously synergistic effect when they are combined. Mm, okay. And the host defense, um, I think that's the name of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's the one, you know, I, re- I really, I think there's like 20 different mushrooms in it. All the ones you mentioned plus a whole bunch of others. Mm-hmm. Um the My Community Comprehensive Immune? My Community, that's it, yes. My Community okay. Comprehensive Immune Support. And as as far as a supportive thing, the adaptogenic supportive herbs are used in China uh, by being given about an hour before the treatment and then again an hour later. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you want to give her more... It won't hurt. Okay. But but an hour before and an hour afterward of a sufficient dose, which could be a dropper full or two, um, okay. seems 
to be very effective. So a dropper to um, before and after her treatment. Well, the thing is now is that she went through the standard um, care protocol, and um, and then after she decided to not do the second round of chemo, um, she went. We went to. Tijuana and she did the Hoxie protocol um, mm-hmm. and then we got a scan um, January 8th and it showed that she had edema on the brain so then we got a scan she kind of was acting kind of odd we got a second scan in February and it showed that possibly like her tumor is growing back so she um, and my dad decided to go to the Burdensky clinic and they're doing that protocol so it's not necessarily that she's getting you know Exactly. The, so I don't know what that protocol is. I don't know what redundancy mm-hmm. is. Mhm. Um. It's I don't really know exactly the details of it either. Um. But I do know that he's doing something called it's like andioplasty or something where they're taking out genes and basically she has she has a port that is hooked to her all day long. Um. And then they're doing three you know um types of chemo I guess like really low doses. And then she's um, also taking, I think. Okay, well, let's just reel back just a little Mm -hmm. bit. Okay. A port is surgically implanted under the skin. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm, that's what she has. Anyone who has a port has that port in their body Mm -hmm. 24-7. Mm-hmm, yeah, she does. So that's that's what a port is. Mm -hmm. It's not like she has a port that she has every day. Yeah, well, that's what a port is. Yeah. It's a way that we can put things that would harm the blood vessels into the body through a secure site. Okay. And the vast majority of places that do any chemotherapy will install a port because it's healthier and safer. Okay, that's good. And that's reassuring to hear. Um, so in regards to how often she should take the, if she took the, you know, my community comprehensive immune. So um, you're saying that they're using low-dose chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Are they doing low-dose chemotherapy all day long? I doubt it. No, I think that she's just doing that when she actually is physically there. And she just came back this week after being there for two weeks. Um, but she does have the port and it's the, um, it's basically, from what I understand, that they're pulling out um, genes from other people and, like, putting them back into her. I don't know exactly what it is. No, 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 no. Your genetic material is your genetic material, and we don't share. Yeah. As a matter of fact, women are more likely to have autoimmune diseases because they're pregnant. Because mm. <clears throat> they have to tolerate having other genetic material in their body for 40 weeks. Wow. So much so that some people hypothesize that the uterus has a separate immune system which allows it to tolerate that. Wow. That's so beautiful. Immune, That's awesome. Immune therapies take the cancer cells and look for susceptibilities Mm -hmm. and then take genes from the cancer Mm -hmm. and put them back 
into your body. Okay. This uh, then alerts the immune system. It reminds me of an old trick that I learned from Rodale Press Organic Gardening. It says, if there's a pest in your garden, what you do is you gather as much of, as you can of that pest and you chuck it in your blender with some water and blend it up, strain it, and add just a drop or two of dish soap and spray it on the plants. Mm. Wow. And it will kill the bugs because what you've done is to make a little soup of all the pathogens that the bugs were carrying around. Mm-hmm. And now you're spraying it on the bugs and they die. So this is exactly, well, not exactly, this is very similar to what we're doing, right? We're saying to the cancer, okay, here's how we're going to get you. Okay. We're going to take some of you and then we're going to squirt it around. Okay. And it's not that the cancer will kill the cancer, but now the immune system can see it. One of the reasons it's so hard to get rid of cancer is the it is makes the immune system blind. Right. The FDA just approved a new immunotherapy for women with triple negative breast cancer. And on one hand, I said, hooray. And on the other hand, I said, really? Mm. Because survival was increased from 4.8 months to 7.1 months. Yeah, not very big. And the side effects of that stuff can be horrible. Well, what I'd like to do is maybe get some more information on exactly what's going on with, like, what the treatment is specifically, and maybe give you a call back next week and and ask those questions. That sounds sounds really, really good, and that gives me a chance to answer the other two people. Okay, perfect. All right, I will give you Uh, a call back. Thanks. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. So it looks like one of the callers drops. We just have this one person left with a question coming from a private okay. number. Alrighty. Hi, hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Good evening. I have um, a couple questions. Hopefully, kind of quick. One is that I have a ruscus butcher's broom growing in my garden, and it's all over the place. And I have a small garden, and I'm wondering if if uh, you know of anything I can use it for. I can't find. Uh, besides being pretty, I can't find it in any of my herb books. I'm not even sure that I'm familiar with the plant. Oh, okay. All right. It's just a it's a it's a funny one. It's a lily family plant. So maybe oh, I should. Oh, those lily family yeah. plants—they can be very tricky, you know. When it flowers, do the flowers bloom up to the side or down? They bloom up, but it's a really, it's a trippy plant because the leaf is compound and it's about, you know, it's got a root or a rise. It, like it cannot be the lily family if it has a compound leaf. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. It looks like, I should say, it looks like a compound leaf. And it just has one and the stem is basically under the ground. And then each, uh, what looks like a leaflet, but is still part of the leaf. It must be a stem because in the middle of it, it makes the flower and then a teeny tiny fruit. It's a really trippy plant. Wow. Yeah, and the flower is well, purple. You know, yeah. and, and there it is saying, find out about me. So I encourage you to keep asking around. You okay. will find out. Okay. 
Okay, great. My other question, and maybe this is silly, um, I was listening to uh, one of your podcasts today, the way I do when I'm gardening, and um, it it made me have this question, which is when, about menopause, so say I stop, right now my my, period is really erratic, you know, I get it like, I'm in menopause, I get it like every two months or sometimes every month, so if I don't bleed for about 13 months or 13 cycles, is that considered to be menopause is over or is menopause more about the symptoms? Well, let me ask you this. When -hmm. you got your first period, was puberty over? (laughs) No, not at all. Was, Was puberty over when you stopped having symptoms? I don't know when puberty was over. So I guess you're saying that menopause is sort of as nebulous and I'm personal saying that menopause puberty? is puberty prime. Oh, goody. <laughs> and that these are 10-year transitions. Okay. All right. And that for most of us, from the time when we start saying, oh, is this puberty or, oh, is this menopause, until mm-hmm. the time when we say, ah, uh, yes. I remember that. It's about about 10 years. Okay. All right. Right. There may not be any symptoms during the first part where you're going, hmm, is it? Mm -hmm. Right. There's just those kind of faint, oh, is that a hair under in my armpit? Right. Right? Right. Yeah. Oh. Oh, was my period late this month? Mm -hmm. You know, and then then perhaps the more intense Symptoms, but there doesn't have to be. You don't have to have symptoms to be in puberty or menopause, do you? No, I don't think so. I don't think we we want to define these things as abnormalities or medical problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I Certainly, agree. like being pregnant, there's physical changes. Right. But I draw back from medicalizing what I consider normal physical changes in a woman's life. And there's a lot of them. Yeah, I like that about you. That's why I, that's why I follow you. It's really changing how I look at um, the things that are happening for me. And I've been having a lot of, um, I guess they're hot flashes, but they're just sort of thermostat changes really sudden in the last two weeks. And um, it's just been really interesting to go with it. And, you know, when I wake up at, now I wake up at about 4 in the morning almost every morning, and I'm sort of in this sort of fugue state. I can do a lot of kind of energy work and healing um, at that time. It's amazing. It's so quiet, and there have been so many gifts in that Ah. and in in dream work. And it's all because I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, like, I want to get rid of this. I'm just like, all right, okay, so this is how it is now. I'm going to wake up at 4.30. I'm going to be either really cold or really hot, and it's going to go back and forth, and I'm just going to lay here and, you know, talk to my spirits and ask questions and, you know. It's wonderful, actually. Oh, what a gift you are giving us! Thank you, and what a gift you're giving oh. yourself. Yeah, and I and what's you know, it's it's really been super. I mean, of course, I'm. What was my question? So I'm hoping I can like put a, put a little fence around it or control it somehow. But I, you know, I'm I don't know if it's going to get more intense. I don't know if it's going to get less intense. But um, I don't know. I guess I don't have a way to sum that up. It will, it will get, it will get more intense. Mm-hmm. 
and then it will get less intense. Mm-hmm. And then it might get more intense again. <laughs> and then it'll, that does, some, and then it'll get, that does sometimes yeah. happen. You know, Yeah. what I like to, because I like metaphors and visualizations, mm-hmm. I envision two women who are standing on top of a 10-story building. Okay. And one of those women starts going down by taking the stairs. Mm-hmm. And so she comes to landings. Right. Where things seem a little bit normal, right? Mm-hmm. But then she continues down. So there's this, this you know, gradual spiraling changing with periods of rest. The other woman takes the elevator. Mm -hmm. So, and this is usually a woman who's had her ovaries removed or somehow, you know, comes to menopause through chemotherapy or something like that. So she doesn't get this long spiral. She gets the, now you're at the 10th floor, wham, now you're on the bottom floor. Wow. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot harder uh, because we haven't had that opportunity to slowly acclimate ourselves, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, um, yeah. So I think you're doing a good job. You're listening to yourself. You're feeding yourself well. You're taking care of yourself. And as we are reminded by the Native people of the desert southwest, each woman is changing woman. At any age. At any age. I like it. Thank you so much for calling and sharing with us. Green blessings. Thanks a lot, Susan. Green blessings. And welcome to Sally Kempton. Sally Kempton teaches meditation and spiritual wisdom, and she is a widely respected teacher. In fact, she's known for her capacity to kindle meditative states in others. There's a, that that line gave me this very funny internal image of like Sally kind of turning around and people just kind of like going slack jawed and glassy eyed as she kindles <laughs> the state in them. <laughs> and she helps students work with meditative experience as a framework for practical life change. Formerly, Sally was a swami in a Vedic tradition, that's from inmates, that's 40 years, delving deeply into meditation and self-inquiry. She's the author of the best-selling Awakening Shakti, The Transformative Power of the Goddesses of Yoga and of Meditation for the Love of It, which Spirituality and Health Magazine called The Meditation Book Your Heart Wants You to Read. She has an audio program called Doorways to the Infinite, the Art and Practice of Tantric Meditation. And that is a powerful introduction to advanced meditative practice. If you want more, you can find her at sallykempton.com. She also teaches at Esalen and Kripalu. And we'll tell you more about getting in touch with her, but let's bring Sally on now. So good to have you, Sally. Thanks for coming. Hi, Susan. It's a delight to be with you. Can can you hear me? Am I on? I can indeed. The goddesses of India Um, 
Um, yes. And the goddesses of the Vedic tradition are quite interesting goddesses. You work very closely with them. Yes, they are interesting goddesses. The thing I love about this particular set of sacred feminine energies is that they come out of a living tradition. In other words, for thousands of years, and certainly today, people have been doing practices with this set of goddesses. So, you know, not only do they have their kind of original mojo, but they they also have the energy that, you know, that we put into any any entity that we contemplate. So there's an enormous amount of power in this group of goddesses. And as you know, as you probably know, there are many of them. There are many of them. There's not just one. Yes. Yes. And do you remember that old Groucho Marx television show where there would be a buzzer and then a duck who would come down? If somebody said a certain word? Yes. We're dating ourselves. (laughs) You said the word. And the word is feminine. And I would like to be clear with you that feminine is strictly a cultural construct. And it's pretty meaningless. Female, however, is not a construct. And let's talk about female and not feminine. Could we do that? Well, can we can we use another word entirely? Um, sure. What do you want to use? Me, for, well, I want to use Shakti uh, because yeah, to I me, like fema- female female means gender. You know, female means somebody in a in a gendered female body. Whereas when I talk about the um, the, the sacred female, as you were, as it were, the subtle sacred female. What what we're really talking about is the is the power in the universe, you know, which takes form as uh, as um, goddesses with with apparent female bodies, but which is actually the subtle power that gives life. So, which is female. Uh, we Let's can call not erase it, female. Let us not erase okay. female. That is female. That is the X chromosome. And men have a single X chromosome, so they can experience femaleness. Femaleness right. is available to all of us. Right, right. Okay, I'll take There's female. no need, there's take, no need to take, use any other word something. but female, really and truly. Real women have double X. But anybody can experience being a female because we all get at least one. And that act okay. is shakti. That is the power of creation. Right on, right on, right on. Yes, yes, yes. So, and I, I would say that, you know, the thing that really transformed my understanding, not only of what it is to be a woman, but what it is to be uh, a human, was this recognition that the female is intrinsically power. Uh, you know, in the, in the tantric, the Hindu tantric tradition that I, practice with, the understanding is that the male is awareness, is, uh, is disengaged, is not a part of manifestation, that all manifestation is done by Shakti, by the female energy. And um, to recognize that, to realize that, is also to realize that men and women are, are essentially both powered by the same female energy. And uh, if I could, if I have a mission, which is not something I like to admit, but it's to get people to understand that Shakti, female energy, is not simply for female humans. It's, it's for all of life. 
So I like beautifully, the beautifully said. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, ooh, that, ooh. It's yeah. a transformative idea, isn't it? Yes. Wow. Yes. So the goddess is for all of us. The goddess is for all of us. Not the only us, is. but yeah, but also for the for the physical and subtle universe. So. So, you know, the energy in, I just heard, heard some of your conversation with the callers, you know, the people talking about mushrooms and talking about metals, they're talking about Shakti, you know, who, which takes the form of healing plants as well as poisonous ones, you know, and, and the thing I love about the tantric goddess tradition is that it makes space for, for the beautiful and the terrifying, you know, in the natural world as well as in ourselves. Shakti, Shakti is one of the really major <laughs> goddesses. Like, like you wouldn't need any others if you just had Shakti, but there are others, yes? Well, Shakti is a kind of, you know, at least the way I understand it, Shakti is an umbrella term that, um, yes, there's one Shakti, one goddess, but she, let's say she has innumerable faces and innumerable forms. So she can take the form of, you know, let's say, a, let's say a motherly female energy like Mary <laughs> or like um, the Hindu goddess Lakshmi, or she can take the form of a, you know, intense, fierce, you know, very active, uh, scary goddess, at least to many people, like Kali. But, and they're all forms of the one Shakti, but they have different functions, you know, just as obviously all individuals have particular characteristics and functions, but all of us are part of the one energy that, that creates everything. Uh, so, yes, you're right. You don't need any other goddesses. You have Shakti, but Shakti is going to show up, let's say, as, as your favorite goddess or as the goddess that goes with your culture, if you have a culture, you know, that likes goddesses. And Shakti will even show up as, as male deities. Um, which is, as I say, the radical idea. Yes, I do not think that we would be pushing it too far to say that um, the gig is a form of Shakti. Yes, yes, for sure. So that, for sure. So that once we once recognize Shakti and her characteristics, um, then it, then. Yeah, it's like learning a new word and suddenly everybody's saying it. Yes, and suddenly you're seeing it everywhere. Right? So, I mean, I, suddenly... I think, I mean, I'm a big fan of Lakshmi, too. It's interesting that you, you mentioned her. Yeah, we all like Lakshmi, don't we? Yeah, well, I would well, say in I, the work you do... Anybody who hangs yeah. with elephants. <laughs> <laughs> you like elephants. Yes, me too. Me too. Yeah. It, the other thing about Lakshmi as a, you know, as, a, uh, as a figure to invoke is that she really is the goddess of healing in the Indian tradition. So everything that has to do with health, with nourishment, you know, she's a goddess you go to when you want to get pregnant. She's a goddess you go to when you're sick and want to get well. So she's actually a perfect goddess for the work you do. <laughs> she's really the, she's, she's, no, the, she's the goddess. Yeah, no wonder you like her. No wonder I like her so much. 
Mm. It was like a, a porch. So you open like a door and then you're in like an inner enclosed porch. And then you open another door to actually go in the house. And there I had like a gallery of Lakshmi. No kidding. No kidding. So you, so you yeah. don't go, get in my house without looking Lakshmi in the eye. Well, I, I think that's very wise of you. And it probably um, improves everybody's mood as well. I would hope so. <laughs> yes. Yes. Is there yes. a relationship between the divine goddesses that we're talking about and pleasure? Well, yes. Pleasure is a characteristic of goddess. <laughs> I, seriously, like when, when you, in the tantric tradition, when they do invocations of goddess, it is a, a whole uh, meditative tradition where you, you install goddess in your body. You know, you, you sort of go into your heart, you breathe into your heart, and then you, uh, you ask the goddess that you're interested in to come into your heart. And what you say is, please enter my heart with all your beauty, pleasure, love, wisdom, joy, dancing, and delight. You know, so, that, so goddess, is, goddess is pleasure. You know, goddess is beauty. Goddess is also fierceness, but with the understanding that because pleasure is, I believe, really at the heart of the universe, at the heart of manifestation, you know, that, that we're, we're here for pleasure, despite the fact that it often doesn't feel like that. Uh, so, and that's, that is what Shakti is. It's juice. You know, she's, she's aliveness. She's juiciness. She's, she's, she's sweetness. Uh, she's 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 a capacity for enjoyment. No, I agree. We are here for pleasure, but it doesn't just you know fly overhead and and, and chill on us. You, we we have to actively yeah. choose it. We do, we do, and we and have to I, work for it. You have you don't have to work for it, but you have to to um, maybe open to it. Yes. Well. Yes. Well, you know, when I say work for it, what I mean is you have to find it. I mean, yes. you know, to, you know, I, install like, it. I, I have, a, you have to install it. Exactly. And you also, you also have to kind of reframe your experience sometimes, which is, I think, the, the tricky part, the working part. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a meditative practice where you, you know, it's a mindfulness practice, actually, when you're sitting and you have pain in your knees. And you go into the pain, you know, you kind of get mindful of the pain, you feel into it. And at a certain point, if you, you know, hopefully you do it in such a way that you're not blowing your knees out, but, you know, short term, feeling into the pain in your knees, you start to realize that along with the burning sensation and the sharp sensation, there's belief that there's a kind of natural sensory pleasure, you know, a sensual pleasure in any feeling if you let yourself tune into it, you know, like the, uh, the, the, ah, uh, and the, oh, both, they both could be, can be expressions of pleasure. So, but the work is to realize, to learn how to, to extract pleasure in situations that otherwise might feel annoying, frustrating, or uncomfortable. Mm. Mm. Yes. Yes. Yes, I remember yes. one one woman that I that I met in, in, during her labor, you know, and the 
woman attending her said, oh, that's another labor pain, and she would look and she would say, no, it's another labor pleasure. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Just like that, that reframing it. No, 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 that's not a labor pain. That's a labor pleasure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I personally, I call myself a bliss freak. I just, I really... Uh, I'm basically interested in experiencing bliss as much as I can in as many circumstances as I can. And it's true that, you know, that you also have to be willing to, uh, to forgive yourself if you can't reframe it. I mean, if you're just going, Oh, this hurts. Um, but, but once you can kind of accept your experience in all its seasons and in all its, uh, its, its qualities, um, then you know. Then it really is possible to find the pleasure in everything. Wonderful, wonderful. Let people know the best way to get in touch with you, please, Sally. Uh, well, I have a website, um, SallyKempton.com, and uh, I have a mailing list. And I I also do I do a lot of. Uh, online teleclasses where which, where we ha- it's like it's like us talking. Um, I I do want, I have I have several of them on goddess on on uh, Shakti um, and on various meditative topics and you can attend them live or uh, or you know get them from my website and uh, and I'm you know I kind of teach around in various conference centers. And I, I'm I'm just enormously interested in the ways in which we can really apply the the skills that we learn in meditation and in uh, what I call deity practice, the way we can apply them to the different situations in life. So I tend to I tend to teach people um, the kind of philosophy behind some of these understandings, but also. I try to give them a kind of practical application, you know, so, uh, and, and the thing about the Hindu goddesses and the whole tradition of, of uh, invoking deities and installing deities in your body is that, that every one of these faces of Shakti carries a particular set of powers and characteristics that are all powers, powers that we have in ourselves, but, the thing about you know, getting to know these kind of archetypal uh, cosmic versions of these powers is that is that they can they can activate our own capacities uh, in ways that it's often hard to do on your own without some some sense of connection to what some people like to call a higher power. So uh, a lot of the practice of working with Shakti uh, is about finding the connections between your own bodily energy, your own physical energy, your own moods, your own emotions, and the kind of sacred uh, largeness of the, the goddess energies who incarnate these, but in a, you know, in a much more transpersonal and empowered way. So uh, I so, would say... If, so, if, so, we, yes. so we have goddess images with names, and right. we can we can install specific yes. goddesses, and when we do that, then we have 
closer personal access to that power? Um, yes, exactly, exactly. And the more you, well, you know, in traditionally, uh, you would choose, or if you, or if you had a teacher, your teacher would choose a, a goddess or a male, a male deity whom you feel particularly close to, and then you would invoke her. Let's say it's Lakshmi. You invoke her um, as a presence, perhaps through a statue or perhaps through a picture, and then you you learn how to bring that image into yourself and to identify more and more with it. And over time, it, you know, it's not, it doesn't always happen in, in an hour or a day, but in my experience over years of practicing with, uh, with, with goddess, with the, the goddess energies is that they trans, they really transform you from within. So they, it's, it's like the qualities in you that have been kind of dormant. Um, you kind of had a sense that you have this gift or that you have this, uh, this interest. You, it's like that, that gift becomes magnified and enhanced by your connection with the goddess energy. It's, it is literally a form of empowerment, which, which we, we enter into ourselves through meditation and contemplation and uh and um visualizing meditating on installing using mantras mantras are a very big part of goddess practice and it's a very much an experimental uh you know very i i i consider it a very much a playful and relational practice personal and relational. Yes. 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 So yes. It, it works best if we bring ourselves into it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And and if we're willing to be a little bit playful. Uh, you know, I, I mean, when we start talking about goddesses and deities, especially goddesses from a different cultural tradition, you know, if we're Westerners, um, there's always this, oh, my God, am I, is this some kind of superstition? You know, is this, is this real? Is this something I should be doing? And that, that the more you, you really take the position that, that the goddess, the meditation that you're doing uh, is bringing out actual sensory energetic experiences within your body and psyche so that you start to identify, let's call it goddess presence, or you can just call it presence, you know, by the, the enhancement in your energy field. And then it becomes very personal because it's all happening in your body. I remember once saying to a meditation teacher, well, am I supposed to imagine this? And the answer was, no, you must experience it. Yes, yes. And, and, and um, I would say to that, um, you know, we tend to think that imagination is fantasy, meditative practice, especially goddess practice. We use the imagination, you know, which is a profound faculty of perception and creativity. So we actually, we actually consider our imagination our organ of creativity, and we, we use it to imagine a higher being to bring it into our body. And then we discover that we can actually, you know, you, imagination is the first step. 
and the experience then arises as a result of it, the imaginative practice that we've done. That was exactly my answer. I said, I think in my state, I, I'm limited to imagination. Right. But, right. but, but I right. hear you, and, and if I imagine enough, I think I will experience. You totally will. You totally yeah. will. Yeah. And, and it works. Of course, it's positive and negative. If you imagine enough catastrophe, uh, the chances are you're going to experience it. But if you imagine enough beauty, health, pleasure, you know, creativity, uh, and compassion, you're going, it's going to start to become your actual energetic experience. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about yeah. Awakening Shakti, your book. Um, the book is, uh, it's, it's actually a, it's of the Indian tradition who have uh, very different, so to speak, personalities. So one of them is the goddess Durga, who is a warrior, uh, you know, and kind of a, a warrior form of the great mother. There's Lakshmi, uh, who is, you know, all about good fortune, wealth, um, beauty, pleasure, abundance. There's Kali, who's really the goddess of revolution, um, you know, liberation. Uh, Saraswati, who's the goddess of learning, creative, creative intuition, music, eloquence. So the book is divided into chapters and there are uh, sort of expositions about the mythology of each goddess, but especially about how, how the archetype, say, for instance, the archetype of Lakshmi operates in real life. So, um, so for instance, if you, once you sort of understand the qualities of, say, the goddess Durga, you start to see, okay, my friend Ruth, the name of one of my friends, you know, who is a warrior and, a, you know, and, and everybody's mother and will stand up and come to your help if you're in trouble, that she's an expression of Durga energy. And, you know, and this same person can be quick to anger, can be a little bit sharp. So the more you kind of equate the more you understand the archetypal goddess qualities in you, uh, the more you can look at the qualities which seem excessive or negative and see them in the light of the goddess. And that, that, that insight, so to speak, or that invocation of the goddess, that understanding of the goddess will actually help you uh, kind of assimilate the more problematic aspects of, uh, of your personality by seeing them within the frame of the goddess archetype. It's an incredibly powerful practice for, uh, for, but, you know, for helping us navigate the world with, with a kind of deep understanding and compassion of the gifts that we're endowed with, you know, some of which, well, I mean, especially for women in this society, uh, despite Re- Rebecca Solnit's great book about angry women, which just came out, uh, you know, anger is not seen as a quality that, that women are supposed to uh, display. So, and yet, you know, as we know, anger is the quality that changes situations you know, that, that need to be changed. So in order to allow ourselves to, to feel our anger and express it in a way that's actually positive, to, to really get, you know, get an understanding about what it means to be a powerful, fierce goddess and allow that energy 
to act through you um, is very, very transformative. You know, or, or if your thing is, there's a, one of the goddesses in the book is called Dumabati, and she's, uh, she's kind of described as the crone. Uh, she's, you know, she's an, she's an old woman. She doesn't have a guy. She's the kind of archetype of the bag lady. And yet she's, or, you know, at, it, it's not a yet, it's an and. She's powerful presence, which can help you transform disappointment or depression into spiritual growth. So she's a fantastic goddess to, to get in touch with if you're sick or if, you know, if you're, if you're feeling uh, frail, if you, you know, if you're, uh, if you're, you know, in a situation where you've been disappointed. So th- the idea of this book is to get to know the goddesses by getting to know the goddesses to truly empower yourself to live, I, I'm going to say, as a goddess, you know, to just yes. recognize. Yes. 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 It, you start yes. by recognizing yourself as the goddess, and then you start to see the goddess everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 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 It's hard and to believe, Susan, but can... we, it's hard to believe, but we've actually come to almost the last minute of the show, and I'd like to give it to you. What do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everybody who's listening to you? Sally Kempton, author of Shock, Awakening Shakta. Awakening Shakta. Shakta. The transformative Awakening. power of the goddess. Here's yes. your minute. What do you want to leave in their hearts and minds? Um, that two things. First, really understand your own sacred divinity. You are, you are a, you're a microcosm of the great goddess. And to understand that about yourself is going to change the way you see everything in your life. You can actually walk through the world as a source of blessing, as a source of truth, as a source of love. Because that's what goddess is. That's what she Wow. Wow. That is so beautiful. Get more at sallykempton.com. Thank you, Sally. Thank you for being such a vibrant reweaver of the cloak of the goddesses, bringing the goddess back into our lives and our hearts. We all owe you a deep and gracious bow. Thank you so much. And Rebecca, thanks for spreading green blessings and helping to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as a people's medicine. Love to you and happy birthday Justine and Monica Jean who got hit in the head by her surfboard yesterday. Ouch. <laughs> Learning to surf. It's not easy. And green blessings to all of you until next week. Thank you, everyone. Good night.